Welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL and what's going down there. We will talk about the NBA and some interesting news there. We'll talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs. And we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Along with following at Daytime Sports on all your favorite social medias. That's TikTok. That is Twitter, that is Instagram and Facebook for breaking news and now highlight rules are going up there as well. So make sure you give that a follow and tell your friends so you and all your friends will stay ahead of the game, especially during fantasy football because I'm always tweeting out injury alerts, who's in, who's out, etc., etc. Now, as always, sit back and get ready to learn something. And welcome into the show. We have an absolutely loaded show today. It is packed to the brim. We've got NFL Week 5. We've got Thursday Night Football. We've got NFL Week 6. We have, have always Jack's Pack. We got NBA talk. We got Major League Baseball talk. And for the first time, I'm going to spoil a little bit about Best for Last because I definitely want you guys to be excited as I am. We have WNBA Playoff Talk. Because the WNBA playoffs are rolling into the finals. It's been an all-time finals so far. Um, and so we're going to keep rolling with that. But first, we're going to jump right into the game last night. We're going to start off with the NFL, as always. When the NFL's on, that's my E-block. That's my opening segment. We're going to jump right into that. And the game last night, uh, it went about how I thought it was going to go. For about the two and a half, three quarters. Um, then the Bucks throttled it down. Uh, it was pretty obvious, but they... Were surgical in the first drive, surgical in the second drive, had a miscue in the third drive, surgical in the fourth drive, and you looked up, it was 28 to 7. Um, the defense is an all time rushing defense. I don't know what the numbers are on that thing exactly, but that has to be an all time rushing defense. The Patriots had negative yards uh, for the game. Uh, the Eagles, Miles Sanders had one yard at halftime. It, it's gotten to the point where teams don't even try. So the Buccaneers have this terrible passing defense. Well, that's all anyone can do. No one tries to run the ball because you can't. Uh, you got guys like Vita Vea and Dominican Sue, JPP, Shaq Barrett, Devin White, and Levante David want to fly downhill. And they didn't even have Levante David last night. Philly came into the game basically saying, we're not even going to try. I believe Miles Garrett had a carry at halftime, one carry for one yard. And it was like, oh, well, yep, that was cute. Like, we're not even going to do this anymore. Um, they they often end up doing it later in the second half, but to, by that point, they were I mean they were coming back, but it was one of those bucks were guarding against the big play pass and not against trying to snuff every single yard away. Um, and so Miles Sanders got you know got loose a little bit to the loud loud cheers of the Philadelphia Eagles fans. Every time they ran the ball in the second half, it was a standing ovation. It could have been for three yards, and they were going to get on their feet and loudly cheer uh, for the Eagles running the ball. Because that is a complaint uh, spoken to several Eagles fans recently. Uh, and, and that was the complaint that they have. That Nick Sirianni at times would just kind of forget he has a running back of the caliber of Miles Sanders and won't run the ball. He'll just put it in Jalen Hurts' hands 35, 40 times in a game. Um, and then if they have 15 carries, 10 of them are Jalen Hurts-centric. So that's the complaint, that's the complaint a lot of Eagles fans have 
um, is that Nick Sirianni will just flat out forget that he has a Miles Sanders level running back. Which is odd, considering that, you know, where he came from, they, in Indianapolis, they ran the ball a good bit, you know. At that point, they had Marlon Mack, they had Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, they ran the ball a decent amount in Indianapolis. That Frank Wright system is kind of built on the run being a big threat, so it's kind of interesting that he has gone basically completely away from it in favor of just letting Jalen Hurts fling it all over the yard. But as I was watching that game, early, especially early, I tweeted it out a couple of times, I was like, the man, the Bucks might score 50. Um, if they didn't pull the dogs off, they probably would have scored 50. No wonder Tom Brady is like, yeah, physically, I could play till 50 or 55. Why not? The game is easy. It's really easy. He got hit a couple times last night. Uh, he seems to get up a little slower than he used to. And I'm, I'm, I'm a Patriots fan, so I watch all of Tom Brady's games, as, you know, as many as I could. He's getting up a little slower than he used to, but he doesn't get hit. He knows the defense is going to do before they do it. He's mastered now. He has the ultimate slot receiver, Antonio Brown. So now he has the route running and the dependability of a Wes Welker, of a Julian Edelman, with the breakaway speed of nearly a Randy Moss. It's like it's a perfect combination, a uh, perfect receiver for him and Antonio Brown. I mean, remember in New England, the one game Antonio Brown played as a Patriot, he had showed up a few days before, barely had a playbook. I think he only played 20-something plays. Brady hit him for five catches, 80-some yards on a touchdown in, in just those few plays. Um, and so Brady has the ultimate slot guy in Antonio Brown. He has total implicit trust in Antonio Brown. And what makes A.B. even more dangerous for Brady is that A.B. can go deep. So if you start sitting on underneath routes, they call a slug-o, which is a slant go double moves, kind of out and up. And now you've jumped on this quick route. Antonio Brown's running past you for a touchdown. You've got Chris Godwin. You've got Mike Evans. Thursday night, Lenny showed up last night. Leonard Fournette was insane. At one point in the game, pretty well into the game, about the midway through the third quarter, uh, they showed a graphic where Leonard Fournette had 100 and something total yards, and the Eagles as a roster had 77. Um, so playoff Lenny was rolling uh, on Thursday night football. This offense is terrifyingly good. And you know how when the Chiefs first came to pass with Patrick Mahomes, and they was like, my God, we've never seen an offense like this. We've never seen weapons like this. Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Daryl Williams, Damian Williams. They have a good offensive line, and then Patrick Mahomes was just slinging all over the yard. We've never seen anything like this. We have. It's called the greatest show on turf. They had Isaac Bruce. They had... Um, they had Marshall Falk at running back. Curry Warner was going all over the yard. I can't think of the other receiver name. It's going to bother me. But, it, you know, they had these great weapons everywhere. We, we've seen great offenses in terms of they could put people on the field together, Hall of Fame level talents, and fly all over the field. But that Chiefs offense pales in comparison to this Bucks offense, especially potential. We had an O.J. Howard sighting last night. Remember O.J. Howard? Yeah, yeah, he tore his Achilles in, like, the Chargers game last year, like game three or four, and was out for the year. We had an O.J. Howard sighting last night. Cameron Brake caught three or four huge passes. Leonard Fournette was catching swings, screens, and those little curl routes all night. I don't even remember Chris Godwin playing, in perfect honesty, which I, 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 he didn't make one play that stood out to me, and I watched the game from start to finish. He, I don't remember Chris Godwin catching a pass. If he did, I would be shocked. 
I remember Mike Evans catching a couple. I mean, I kind I remember him more for the pass interference in the end zone that end up setting up another Leonard Fournette touchdown than him catching any passes. Now Antonio Brown, I remember his catches. I remember you know Fournette, but I'm saying you have an OJ Howard sighting. He spiked the ball so hard it flew into the stands. You didn't even have Gronk last night. Chris Godwin, I don't remember him playing. Mike Evans, the biggest player from him was a pass interference on him. Like it was, he got he got grabbed. They were kind of grabbing each other, but they called Darius Slay on a pass interference, stopping him from uh, getting a back shoulder throw. I, 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 Fournette was Fournette. That was great. Ronald Jones didn't run that well. They kind of fell out the rotation. There was no Scotty Miller in this game. This Tampa Bay offense has the potential to rival. Especially when they get their pieces back. I'm talking week 10, week 11. Kind of how they did last year where they heated up and started scoring like 40 a night on people. Um, This team had the chance to get hotter than the team last year. I'm talking they may end up averaging 35, 36 points after Thanksgiving. uh, Just because they're going to be so in tune, so clicked in, and and have their full complement of stars back. They're going to go to those odd 11 personnels where it's Antonio Brown, Scott Miller, Mike Evans. You know, with Gronk at the tight end and then Fournette at the running back. You know, they're going to start doing all these crazy packages with all this talent. And you don't know who's going to do what. It is absolutely insane to watch uh, that Bucks offense do, do what they do. On the Eagles side, Eagles fans have a question. I have, I have a oh, burning question. You know, I was told the past couple of years, Carson Wentz is the problem in Philly. We've got guys on television making fun of his last name. You've got fans saying it's it's Wentz's fault and calling him Mr. Glass, etc. Okay. The quarterback you have now, who I didn't love in the draft, looks a hell of a lot like the quarterback you had then. But this but this quarterback has better weapons. Carson Wentz did never had a Devontae Smith. Not since Alshon Jeffrey got old. He never had a Devontae Smith. He didn't have a Jalen Rager. He didn't have a shirt up offensive line. He didn't have a Miles Sanders. He didn't have an offensive coach. Well, he had Doug Peterson, but he, he didn't have a coach that connected with him. Basically, the job was save Carson Wentz or else. I mean, save, you know. He didn't have that. And Jalen Hurts looks worse than Carson Wentz. And you wanted Carson Wentz out, but you're trying to convince me Jalen Hurts is the guy. Try again, Eagles fans. You're talking to a guy who didn't love Jalen Hurts coming out of the draft. I didn't like him in Alabama. Not as a passer, as a football player, as a playmaker, sure. But when you pass as inaccurately, as ineffectively as he does, you better be Lamar Jackson. You better be Kyler Murray. You better be Marcus Mariota. Something. He's a good, he's a great athlete at quarterback position, but he's not a great NFL athlete. They probably runs a 4 5 40. It's good, not great. You better be special with your feet if you're going to have that level of arm talent Jalen Hurts has, and he doesn't have that special level of feet of a Lamar Jackson, of a Kyler Murray. He's not elite in size. Elite in charisma, sure, I give you that. Elite in, elite in leadership, that's what it appears to be from the outside. But he doesn't have the requisite physical tools to make up for the lack of arm. Philly, he's not the guy. Currently, you hold the right to three first-round picks, three top ten first-round picks at that. 
I don't know if you fall in love with the. I mean, I'm sure you don't fall in love with Spencer Rattler now, but I don't know if Malik Newman is the guy you're in your head you're thinking about, or uh, Sam Howell, or, or maybe it's the you know the guy from Nevada. I can't think of his name. Maybe it's it's Slovis at USC. But Jalen Hurts is not it. It's not. He's not. He's not. He's not it. But good news for you is Miami's gonna suck. Because two is trying to come back. The team is not very good. Miami's gonna suck. So that's that's one top ten pick. Good news is you're going to suck. Two top ten picks. Now I think the Eagles, I think the Colts get on their get on their high horse. You end up with another first round pick, but it'll be somewhere in the late teens, early twenties. Um I do think the Colts win nine games, maybe even ten and get in the playoffs. So you know, again, that pick will be somewhere in the 10, 20, but you'll have two in the top seven and then another in the top 20. So you're looking at three top 20 picks. That's enough ammo to go get anyone in the league you may want. Now, what I would do is I would offer Jalen Hurts up to somebody for a third or fourth round pick. Get another pick. And then I would simply wait. I would draft the quarterback. Then I would go get a top-level defensive tackle, defensive end, uh, a Kayvon Thibodeau, and then I would go pick up a safety, or go pick up a top linebacker, um, go pick up a top corner. I mean, you may, you may end up being in the Derek Stingley business as well um, and rebuild that team there. I wouldn't necessarily build around Jalen Hurts. I would try to do something at the position, but um, definitely, and I do mean definitely, Jalen Hurts is not the guy in Philadelphia. He looks worse than the last guy you had who you ran out of town in Carson Wentz. So, hey, Philly fans, I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but that's just the truth. And you're going to have to figure that out. Speaking of the guy who ran out of town, Carson Wentz went up against Lamar Jackson in probably the best Monday night game in terms of quarterback play I've seen in a long time. Uh, the Raiders had a great game against Lamar early in the year, Monday night as well. Uh, but that game didn't feature a lot of great quarterback play. Lamar fumbled a couple of times. He didn't have these kind of numbers. Derek Carr didn't have a good game as Carson Wentz. So it, it was a great game, exciting game. It was a you know a one loss win kind of game. Um, had everything in it. But this Monday night game with the Ravens and the Colts, absolutely insane. So it, it starts off crazy. I mean, the first drive, Indy goes nowhere on their first two plays, and then they pop a 76-yard screen pass for a touchdown. And then you have the Colts pretty much in command. I mean, it was to the point where I was like, man, the Colts are going to take a game. I didn't think they would win. And it's the kind of thing where, okay, you win last week against who you're supposed to beat. Then you win again this week, a thing you're not supposed to beat. Then the Colts um, the Colts have um, Houston this week in a game um, you know, they're supposed to win. And now you look up, you go from 0-3 to or you go from 0-3 yeah, to now you're 4-4. and um, and, and kickstarting your season, but that didn't happen. Or right, four and three, three and three, something like that. But that didn't happen um, because Lamar Jackson had the greatest game he's ever played in football in his life. Um, the Colts were in command. They were running a very smart defense, keeping him contained. The Ravens didn't even break 100 yards rushing. Uh, they were keeping him contained. Lamar. They were ensuring that the running backs didn't get off. They were diving on all the all the play actions, all the run actions. They were making sure they had enough bodies even an extra body or two to deal with that Ravens run game. And Lamar said, okay, you want to play me like that? You want to play me like an option quarterback? I'm going to shred this defense in the pocket. 
440 some odd yards, 86% completion percentage, four passing touchdowns, his numbers in the pocket, traditional straight drop back numbers, which is something that people say he always he's always criticized of doing. He was 29 of 32 or 33, 300 and something yards, and all four of his passing touchdowns came from traditional drop back plays. Now he may not have stayed in the pocket for them. You know, he may not have stayed, he may not have just sat in the pocket and dotted you up, but because the, the Mark Andrews play, he was running forward kind of thing, the game and the touchdown. But all four of his touchdowns came from traditional drop back in the pocket plays. There was no hard run action. There was no read option, RPO type stuff. It was traditional snap from center. Lamar takes his steps on his drop, finds a receiver, gets the ball out. It was a game where the other quarterback, Carson Wentz, the other quarterback, Carson Wentz, scored half 402 yards passing with two touchdowns, scored 20-something points, and no one cares. That tells you how special Lamar Jackson's game was. He had over five. He had 504 of like 520-something yards the Ravens had as a team. Um, it was impressive. It was impressive to the point where I was actually getting upset with the Colts watching them because I believe that the Colts switched their defense. I believe that they got a little tired and they started losing corners. Um, And so to protect the corners, they switched how they were playing defense, which allowed Lamar Jackson to stand there and dot people up, stand there and just throw accurate balls, uh, throw ropes. Kudos to Lamar. I mean, I'm taking nothing away from Lamar. Like I said, I got mad. I was getting mad at the uh, Colts' defensive uh, coaching staff because it they, they, they looked like they were playing not to lose the game um, instead of playing to win it. And, I, and, I, and, you know, same thing with the head coach, Frank Wright. He had a bad moment playing for the Rodrigo Blankenship field goal that was ultimately blocked by Calais Campbell. We know Rodrigo Blankenship was hurt. He hurt his hip in, in, in pregame. To the point where it was a longer field goal that luckily got an offsides call on that the punter actually came out to kick to see if he could do it because Blankenship was hurting. He'd already missed an extra point. He nailed the kick that you did the replace thing on because they ended up bringing him in and he made it. And then you play for a, I don't know if you thought, okay, he's healthy. We got it now. But you play for a field goal. You, it gets blocked by Calais Campbell. And then later in the game, you play for another field goal. This is even more obvious. You were playing for a field goal to the point where the announcer said, oh, clearly the time was more important than the yards. Like, it was like clearly, you know, he was trying to just milk another 40 seconds off, which is much more important to him than gaining the 10-yard first down. He'd rather not risk it um, and just um, kick that field goal. Rodrigo Blankenship duck-hooked it. Probably trying to avoid Calais Campbell, which Calais Campbell was going to block that one if he didn't duck hook it. He took the ball out of Carson Wentz's hands. He was playing about as well, probably the best he's ever played in a coach's uniform. Probably the best he's played in a couple of years. And he took it out of his hands to trust an injured kicker. I don't know. That's sent a bad message to me. If I'm Carson Wentz, I'm looking like, well, how much faith does Frank Wright have in me? How much faith does this staff and what are what are, what are the meetings from Chris Ballard who's the GM Jim Ursay who's the owner and Frank Wright like you know are they saying we like Carson but we don't think he's it keep the ball you know keep the ball out of his hands like it, it rubbed me the wrong way that you played for the field goal it's the same thing I felt about the Packers and the Bengals when they had their misfest you you played 
for the field goal. It's the same thing I felt about um, the Patriots versus the Bucks. Bill Belichick intentionally played for the field goal um, because Mac Jones was rolling. I would have let Mac Jones try it on fourth and four, but you went with a fifth to six yard field goal in the rain. He missed it. The Packers and the Bengals both had chances to win the game. Both missed back and forth to Crosby finally hit one. Um, and then um, Monday night, you play for Rodrigo Blankenship field goal. He missed it. You, I mean, taking the taking the ball out of your quarterback's hands is never a good idea to me unless you don't trust the guy. I don't like him. And that's what it sent to me that the Colts were kind of over Carson Wentz or worried he would mess the game up. Ultimately, the kicker messed it up. Um, but it takes nothing. It, it just all of that was overshadowed from how great Lamar played. It wasn't it was ridiculous to watch. It was a passing clinic. He's so much better passer than the guy you saw uh, in that first playoff game against the Chargers, where the Chargers strategy was kill this option. So they ran seven DBs at all time uh, just to make sure they had the speed to keep up with them to the point where he, where Lamar was getting booed and there were Joe Flacco chance. Um, so much better, higher level passers, so much smoother. The timing is so much better. The anticipation level is through the roof now in comparison to what it used to be. Um, and so when you look at um, how Lamar progressed and how he played that game, absolutely spectacular game. Kudos to Lamar, Greg Roman, uh, John Harbaugh, and the rest of that staff. Absolutely insane game. Absolutely wild. Absolutely nuts. A game that was probably going to take the cake for crazy game of the week was the Cleveland Browns and the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, the Cleveland Browns scored over 40 points. They had over 400 yards of offense. They didn't have a turnover. And they lost. Yeah, the game was insane. Um, the Browns defense couldn't stop a nosebleed if they tried. The Chargers defense wasn't doing very well against the Browns either. You had two quarterbacks on opposite ends of the spectrum. Let's, uh, and, and, uh, let's talk about that. Brandon Staley is a first-year head coach for the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, his story, like I, said, I spoke about his story a couple weeks ago. His story is incredible. Five years ago, he was a Division three coach. Now he's head coaching the Los Angeles Chargers in the most glamorous city in the NFL and the most glamorous stadium in the NFL with a top five talent quarterback um, before the age of 40. It's insane. He's like 36, something like that. It's ridiculous. Um, and and here he speak about the John Gruen stuff we'll talk about a little later. Um, reaffirm why the Chargers management front team fell in love with them. We'll talk about that a little later. He has almost unnatural trust in Justin Herbert. We mentioned Lamar a couple weeks ago, um, a few weeks ago, where they played the Chiefs, and Harbaugh said in his mind he wanted to go for the fourth down to ice the game. But he said if Lamar didn't want to go, he wasn't going to go. And he asked Lamar, do you want to go? And Lamar is nodding, like, of course, of course, as he's running back to the huddle. Um, and that's the trust we've seen John Harbaugh and Lamar build with each other. You know, Harbaugh asks Lamar if he wants to go for it on fourth. Lamar always responds yes. And nine out of ten times I've seen, they've always gotten it. Um, because Lamar is probably the most dangerous weapon at the quarterback position in the league, especially in short yardage. Brandon Staley had a play a couple weeks ago where it was fourth and four. They were going for it. Right? They're going to go for it. They get a false start. It goes to fourth and nine. 
I don't know a coach in the league that still says, we're going to go for it. And they got it. What happens with the Chargers is that now, and we said it with the Ravens a couple years ago, I started doing it with Lamar. Every down is worthy down. So it used to be third and 11. used to be stopping getting the fourth year off the field. Now, certain teams, I've noticed what the Chargers did against the Browns a couple of times. They're running setup plays for the fourth down play. Because, okay, it's, four, it's third and nine. Let's get it to fourth and three, and then we're going to go for it anyway. We'd love to get the nine. We'd love to not be good to the fourth down, but we're also not going to try and get 15 yards on the third and 15. We're trying to try to get 10 yards on third and 15, make it a fourth and five. Depending on where we're at on the field, we're going to go for it anyway. So it's, it's a new era of coaching that Brandon Staley's introducing. Uh, like I said, John Harbaugh did it to win Lamar. But he did it a couple of times last game as well against the Browns. It was like fourth and seven. The Chargers went for it. And they got it. Um, it was another fourth down play where they went for it. And they got it. Um, you flip it on its head and you flip it to Cleveland's side. It was third and 10, and Cleveland handed the ball off. Uh-huh. See, see, Browns fans want to say things like, oh, Baker's the guy, Baker's the guy. Kevin Stefanski is telling you Baker's not the guy. You, you see, when you have the guy, a la Justin Herbert with the Chargers, fourth and four on the other half of the field, screw it, we're going to go for it. Damn the torpedoes. We're going to go for it. Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson was on the wrong side of the 50. When they did it against the Chiefs, fourth and two. Damn the torpedoes. We're going to go for it. Baker Mayfield on a third and 10 in field goal range. So no threat. I mean, isn't, analytically, this is a two down territory moment. Especially, you know, in a game that was like that. That's two down territory all the way. You hand the ball off to run straight into the back of the line and then kick a field goal. Interesting. Now, now, I suppose this was reaffirmed later in the game where Baker had a minute and some chains left, two timeouts, uh, and had a minute and some chains left with, you know, opportunity to get down the field, and he went check down, check down, short pass, Hail Mary. So I suppose you were right, Kevin Stefanski. You showed us earlier that you didn't trust him, and when the rubber needs to meet the road, I see why you didn't trust him. But see... I have an issue with Lamar not having a contract, not on the Raven side, for Lamar's sake. Like, dude, you run a lot. Like, that running back narrative BS, is it, it, it is, it's BS. It should no longer be talked about ever. But, dude, you run a lot. I'm a Patriots fan, but another person I also loved was Cam Newton. So I was in high heaven when we got him, but, you know, I also love Cam Newton. I seen what happened to his body from hits. And Cam Newton is 6'6", 260-some-odd pounds in his prime. 250 pounds in his prime. Lamar Jackson, you are 6'3", 6'2", buck 90, 200. I, I need for you to get that contract signed for your business. Not necessarily the team business, but for your business. I mean, Lamar, uh, RG3 is on a similar body type. He holding out wrecked his knee and he was never the same. I'm terrified every time Kyler Murray runs. He's even smaller than them. Like he's gonna have to ink his big deal as soon as he can get it for his own personal security. Baker Mayfield doesn't have his big deal because I don't think the Browns want to give it to him. 
Now they're in a spot where they're going to have to. But I think the holdup is the Browns are probably telling Baker's agent, look, dude, you're not worth the going rate at quarterback. You're not worth what Josh Allen getting 41, 42 million. Dak Prescott's got 40 million. You're not worth that. 32, 33 is what I would try to pay Baker Mayfield. If not, I call up a team, Houston, and say for two first round picks, you can have Baker Mayfield. You know, we'll trade you offer. We'll send you two first round picks in Baker Mayfield for Deshaun Watson. Or we'll trade, you know, or call up who else is in quarterback hell. You know, call up the Giants and say, look, we know you're not a huge fan of Daniel Jones. So move off Daniel Jones. We'll trade you Baker Mayfield for two first. Or, you know what I'm saying? I'm calling teams. I'm not giving Baker Mayfield $40 million a year. I'm already going to have to lose some of my talent that makes him look great because I'm going to have to pay him a contract. And now I'm going to have to give him $40 million a year. That's a hearty hell no. Um, I would simply, you know, I'd say Houston would be my number one target. If Houston ain't interested, I'm calling the Giants. If the Giants are interested, I'm calling um, maybe Carolina. But I don't know how, I don't know how they feel about Sam Donald right now. Uh, I'm calling Carolina. Pittsburgh. I call Pittsburgh in my division. Don't care. Two first-round picks. Baker Mayfield's yours. Um, you know, there's probably a couple other teams I can't think of the top of my head. But, um, yeah, I would call those teams. I'm not paying Baker Mayfield the going rate, which is $40 million. And I'm thinking that's the holdup. We've seen him in two opportunities this year to throw for the game. And ultimately, he failed. The Kansas City, it was three and out interception. Against the Chargers, it was check down, check down, short pass, Hail Mary, ball game. Now, he played well. He played 55 minutes of great football. The problem is, in the NFL, at that position, no one cares. It's all about the last drive. Can you do it in the clutch? If the first 55 minutes weighed the same as the last five minutes in people's minds, Tony Romo would not be bashed the way he is in historical lore. He had some bad moments in the last three minutes of games. He also had some all-time moments. He also has several all-time Cowboys passing records. But no one cares because we remember the drop, the botch snap against Seattle. We remember the interception against Denver in the shootout against uh, Peyton Manning. These games just immediately jump out at us. That's what you're remembered by. And so Baker in these last few moments are is struggling horribly um, in these moments and juxtapose that to Justin Herbert cool calm collected drive down the field touchdown no big deal uh, it's just it's just you're on the, the other side of the spectrum you're staring up at all these different players all these different talents in the AFC not even counting the old guys you're probably the fifth or the sixth most talented one I mean you're not better than Burrow you're not better than Herbert you're not better than uh, Lamar you're not better than Patrick I mean that's five. I mean you're already fifth, and I haven't, I've, you know, I haven't even really thought that hard. I wouldn't pick you over Derek Carr. Six, like I, you know, it's just you're in a bad spot, and it's just I don't know what you do. I know what I would do as an organization. I'd move on, but I don't know if the Cleveland Browns are gonna do that. They somehow have little man syndrome, and whoa, some, oh, someone likes us. Let's stay with it, you know. And it's like I would have an issue with that if I'm Cleveland. I would have an issue paying Baker Mayfield five years, two hundred million dollars. No way on God's green earth. Um, but that is something that, you know, I would definitely take advantage of if I'm if I'm Cleveland. I would set the market. Look, young quarterback, you're going to have to trade, sign him immediately. But I would move him for two first round picks if that was me. All right, we're going to jump into uh, Kansas City Buffalo. That game was over about as fast as it started. It, it It's kind of funny. It's almost like 
um, Buffalo beat them twice because of the really, really long rain delay. Um, it's almost like Buffalo beat them twice because the first half, or yeah, the first half basically, Buffalo was on top cruising, and then they come out after the long, like an hour long rain delay, a lightning delay, and then Buffalo crushes them again. Uh, they picked on Daniel Sorensen. Ty Matthew now has a compilation of him holding his hands out at Daniel Sorensen messing up the coverage. Um, Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense. I don't know if it's figured out. And I, and I said it on another show I'm on um, that the Chiefs offense isn't figured out. Like there, there's no figuring out Patrick Mahomes, but I think what you're figuring out is the scheme. So they're not off. They're just being out schemed right now. And it's due to the Chiefs personnel basically fitting how they have to play. Tyreek Hill, the speed burner. He wants to find someone to race. He just wants to get in a foot race with somebody and take off. The problem is they're dropping two high safeties. So even if you run past your corner, uh, the safety has a 20-yard cushion on you. You're not going to outrun that. Not At least not fast enough to where Pat still trusts to throw it. And Miko Hardman is the same way. Travis Kelsey, now they two high shell safety. He's pretty much got somebody over the top of his head at all times. The Chiefs won't run the ball. Now, Clyde, it was hilarious out with a sprained MCL. And, I mean, he got the Williams fellow, but the, the Chiefs aren't committed to running the ball. So they're figuring out them schematically. Buffalo handled them from start to finish. Buffalo is clearly the better team. Uh, the Chiefs fall to two and three. The first time in the Patrick Mahomes era they've had a losing record. Um, it's just you have a Bills team that is just better than you. If they play that game ten times, the Chiefs might win one uh, because Pat makes a couple crazy throws. You know, like just the, you know they played it ten times, the Chiefs may get one of them. Yeah, I would pick the Chiefs defense is historically bad. It is absolutely abhorrently bad like it's to the point where Patrick Mahomes has to be Superman every game to keep them in it the defense is that bad uh I don't see the Chiefs at this point even challenging for the division from the Chargers if the Chiefs didn't make the playoffs it wouldn't shock me it wouldn't it wouldn't at this point it would not shock me I mean think about the AFC in general you've got Chargers Baltimore Tennessee let's say wins the South and then you've got um I mean, it's about AFC uh, East Bills. Then you go the second round through teams. You've got Cleveland unaccounted for, Cincinnati's unaccounted for, Indianapolis is unaccounted for, uh, the Patriots are unaccounted for, the, the Raiders are unaccounted for, and the Chiefs are unaccounted for. So you've got three spots with eight teams. Like I said, it wouldn't shock me at all if. The Kansas City Chiefs do not make the playoffs at this moment in time, um, which would be heartbreaking for several people in the media. They'd probably have to take sick days, uh, but it wouldn't shock me if the Chiefs were not in the playoffs this season. So there's definitely something to keep our eye on there. The Bills are clearly the favorite, in my opinion, in the AFC, um, so it's definitely something to keep our eye on there. But up next, we're going to jump into week six and some wild news that's been going down in the NFL. Welcome into the show. Um, we're going to jump right into NFL Week 6. What's all been happening last week? Um, starting 
really with the Lamar game uh, Monday night, Lamar and the Colts, um, you started hearing them. So the John Gruden mess got worse. Um, so we know about the D Smith comments, Demar Smith comments, um, something online. Let's talk about Demar Smith's lips, uh, which is racially insensitive at best, racist at worst. Um, because you know that, that's one of these stereotypical things that was uh, characterized or caricatured in uh, blackface was really, really unnecessarily large lips, um, and so that was something that was you know labeled with the African American community. John Gruden had a job, and I and I truly believe John Gruden still has a job. If what happened about, uh, let's see, Central Time was about five, 4 o'clock, 3.30, I started reading a New York Post article where the rest, or not the rest of the emails, was some more information out of the emails was leaked. Uh, homophobic slurs towards the commissioner um, saying that the NFL pressured Jeff Fisher and the Rams to draft Michael Sam. Um, other things involving women. Um, just real harsh, cruel things. Uh, that John Gruden was saying basically about everyone. Um, all all minority groups were targeted in these emails or if they weren't specifically named, it felt like it. Uh, and, and that's just the emails that were leaked. Now, conspiracy theories are flowing that the NFL wanted John wanted the Raiders to fire John Gruden after the Morris Smith comments. But when they didn't do it, they decided to pour it on to give the Raiders no choice um, because obviously the NFL had this information. So they were, they were sitting on these pipe bombs and they were saying, okay, we're going to leak racism basically. And if that, you know, that should get them out, that should get the Raiders to let them go uh, because the NFL didn't want to set a precedent of firing or reprimanding people for times they were not employed by the NFL. At the time these emails were coming out, John Gruden was Monday night football um, analyst for ESPN. So at the time, there was no threat. Basically, I mean, there was no jur- the NFL had no jurisdiction. He was not an NFL employee at any point in these in his email chains. And so they wanted the Raiders to you know let him go. No, unload the torpedoes. You know, uh, unload the nuclear weapons. And so ultimately, uh, Mark Davis um, went to the Raiders facility, found John Gruden. They had a conversation. And, and John Gruden resigned. It was it was one of those situations where Al, Al Davis, Mark Davis said, I don't want to be the one to fire you. So I will allow, basically, I will allow you to resign. I don't want to fire you. And that's what John Gruden ultimately did. He had a very short exit statement of, I love the Raiders. Basically, something I lined of, I'm resigning as the head coach. I love the Raiders. I don't want to be a distraction. So I'm going to step down. Um, and that is what happened. In truthfulness, he couldn't go back in that locker room. You made homophobic slurs. You're, co- you're coaching the only openly gay player in the NFL, Karnassa. You made racist remarks. 75% of your team plus is African-American. Um, and you made remarks about women. And so there's and you have female people on staff, obviously, stuff like that. You couldn't go back in the building, in my opinion. Um, you know, and the player said the right thing. Like Derek Carr said, I, you know, I love the man, hate the sin. Derek Carr is extremely religious, um, and so that's what he said. He said, "I still love John Gruden as a person. I just hated the sin he committed." Um, you know, another player spoke up. Well, I, 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 if Carl Nassib has said anything, I haven't seen it. I know the next day they uh, asked 
Mike Mayock, the GM, about Carl Nassib, and he said Carl Nassib took a personal day to process things. Um, but he was back at practice and expected to play this Sunday. What John Gruden said was abhorrently terrible. It's horrible. Is that being other things should never be uttered? They shouldn't be thought. They should damn sure not be typed in an email and sent. Um, and that's about any of the minority groups or what they had the pornographic images of the Washington cheerleaders and stuff. You know, like that stuff shouldn't exist in in today's society. I'm glad they got him out. Um, his name's been removed from the Ring of Honor in Tampa Bay. I'm sure it'll never go up in Vegas. Um, it was it was disgusting to be kind, uh, vile to be mean. Um, now I'm glad the situation's handled. This will be the last time I'll speak of it. Um, unless, you know, for some reason more information comes out. Other emails, that those emails are drawing a lot of ire as well because not Adam Schefter's name is in it. Um, because he was sending pieces about Washington to Washington, about the Washington football team to the person, the guy who was got, you know, the, the emails are from, that you were sending them to him and saying, hey, they're going to take out, edit, add, you know, people have allowed someone to see a story. I'm sure it's happened. People have allowed someone to see a story before it comes out. So if a story is going to hit the New York Times at 9 a.m. on Monday, I'll give you the story Sunday night and say, this is the story. But for you to not be totally blindsided when it comes out, here is the story. It's, it's already sent to the editor. It's done. But here's the story. You know, apparently Adam was sending it to him and allowing him to edit it as he chose. And then send it back to Adam, and that's what Adam would report. Um, there's rumors swirling now that his time at ESPN could be coming to an end. Um, I don't know if ESPN would let him go. That seems like, I mean, that's the equivalency of firing Woj on the basketball side. That's humongous. I mean, that's the NFL senior reporter is Adam Schefter. Um, so I don't know if ESPN would let him go. I mean, like I said, I'm hearing rumors about it now. I'm seeing it in different places that the uh, NFL is considering it or that ESPN is considering letting him go. Again, I wouldn't um, not, you know, it's Adam Schefter, bro. Like he's, he's one of, he's one of, if not the best in the business, uh, I wouldn't let him go. But like I said, these emails are engulfing everyone. Um, now the NFL PA led by Demore Smith is saying, we want the emails out, put them out, all of them. What's in them? Derek Carr asked for them as well. What's in them? Um, because, you know, you look at the NFL has some hiring practice issues they've been trying to solve. Well, if we can root out some of the guys in these positions that maybe think like John Gruden, that may solve some of our problems in hiring. Um, you know, we need more Al Davis in the world who hired the first Latino coach, who had the first black coach, who had the first woman CEO um, in all these positions that Al Davis had with the Raiders, ironically. We need more of him and less of your Daniel Snyder's and your John Gruden's. Um, and, and apparently you're Mark Davis's. But um, so that is something that I hope the NFL does do is release all 650,000 emails and we find out what's in them. Um, who also thinks like John Gruden as well in the NFL. But now we're going to jump right into some huge week six games. We have the Chargers at Ravens. Um, this game is not in Jack's pack. So, you know, the rule when it's not in Jack's pack, I can pick it ahead of time. Uh, Chargers at Ravens. I believe the Ravens are two and a half point favorites in this game. I don't remember the spread exactly. Like I said, it's not my Jack's pack. So I didn't uh, put it down in my notes anywhere, but this game is huge. So the Chargers are coming off a very emotional win against the Colts. 
I know the Ravens come off very emotional winning against the Colts. The Chargers are coming off a very emotional win themselves against the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens do not have the secondary to stop Justin Herbert. They just don't. It's impossible. They can't do it. Like I said, Carson Wentz went for 400 yards and two touchdowns, and none of you listening to this show has anything to do, want anything to do with Carson Wentz. And he sliced, dice, and, you know, minced that Baltimore Ravens secondary with less talented weapons than Justin Herbert, who's a better quarterback, more talented than Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz doesn't have a Keenan Allen. Carson Wentz doesn't have a Mike Williams. Carson Wentz doesn't even have a Jared Cook. Um, you know, so... And Carson Wentz doesn't have an Austin Eckler. I don't know how Baltimore keeps his team under 30, which means it's going to be on Lamar's shoulder to go get 30-35. Um, Chargers struggled against mightily against the Cleveland Browns. Now, Cleveland does have better offensive weapons than Baltimore. No, they don't have a Lamar Jackson, but they got everything else better. They got a Nick Chubb. They got a Kareem Hunt. They got a Jarvis Landry who's now designated from a return from IR. You have an Odell Beckham, even though him and Baker for some reason aren't on the same page. You've got a David Njoku. You've got an Austin Hooper. You've got the great offensive line. Cleveland's offense is much better uh, talent-wise than Baltimore. So maybe Chargers coming down to earth. Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. I spoke about him earlier. He is a defensive coach. That's how he got the job. Um, but he was shredded by Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. I'm sure Greg Roman looked at some of the passing concepts Cleveland ran, even the rushing concepts, and figured out how to, okay, how to add a wrinkle having a weapon like Lamar that no one else in the league has. Uh, Kyler's similar, but, you know, not quite that level of weapon. So, in my opinion, I think the Chargers win the game. Um, Baltimore came out a little flat after the Kansas City game. It was a big emotional comeback, similar, big emotional comeback win, monkey off back, beating Mahomes, beating the Kryptonite, etc. Um, and it came out a little flat the next week. I think they're going to come out a little flat again this week. The problem is, you come out flat against Justin Herbert, you're down 21 nothing before you can blink. And unlike um, Frank Wright, Brandon Staley doesn't know the word conservative, He's going to keep scoring. Uh, I, I truly believe Frank Wright pulled the offense back mind-blowingly uh, too early. Played for played not to lose instead of to win. Brandon Staley always plays to win. I got the Chargers winning that game of uh, 33-20. Uh, the Chargers going to just score too much for Baltimore. I don't know if Lamar can replicate what he did in the passing game again to bring them back. Again, Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. I don't think he's going to let you. I got 33-20, uh, Chargers winning that game. Arizona at Cleveland, a game that is in Jack's pack, so we're going to talk about it a little bit, but not pick a winner. Uh, this game is important for several reasons. First of all, how Lincoln Riley, his recruiting pitch should be this game. It should literally be the poster for this game. That's it. He should walk in people's houses, especially quarterbacks, and put this poster on the table boom walk out because the 2018 first round pick um with the front number 2018 number one overall pick baker mayfield the 2019 number one overall pick kyler murray both won heismans both played at the university of oklahoma both under head coach lincoln riley if i'm recruiting quarterbacks for the rest of my career i'm going boom that's i that's why i got them I got those two. Primetime CBS or uh, CBS second game window. Tony Romo announcing. Boom. That's the pitch if I'm Lincoln Riley. But this game is important because of the Oklahoma connection. 
The only person to ever play at Oklahoma better quarterback than Baker Mayfield was Kyler Murray. Um, this is another game against a guy Baker's going to have to go through to win. Now, Kyler's in the NFC, right? Kyler's in the NFC, so they will ever only have to go to each other in the playoffs if both of them make the Super Bowl. But this is another young guy Baker's going to be compared to. I have said since they were drafted, Kyler Murray is miles better than Baker Mayfield talent-wise. That to me is under, that's un, that's not even a debate. He's got a much better arm, and my I won't even mention feet. This game is going to be huge. The teams are close. Now Baker doesn't have Jarvis. Baker doesn't have Jarvis, but you still like I listed all of Cleveland's weapons earlier. Arizona answers with DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, AJ Green. Uh, I believe the tight end name is Max Williams. You got Chase Edmonds and James Conner with Kyler Murray. Offensive line is not great, but then on the defense side, you answer with uh, Chandler Jones, J.J. Watt, uh, Buda Baker, uh, Byron Murphy, Isaiah Simmons, and the rest of that crew. Cleveland's defense is stacked, too. You got Greedy Williams, Miles Garrett, Davion Clowney, um, John Johnson from the Rams. You know, that defense is stacked over there, too. So, talent on talent, the game is very close. Uh, Cleveland is Cleveland local media starting to give it to Baker a little bit. Now I spoke about the fans are really protecting Baker. The media is not doing it as much. Um, this is a home game after you just got outgunned by Justin Herbert. Now Kyler Murray and the undefeated Cardinals come to town. Huge game for the Cleveland Browns. Um, and also huge game for the Cardinals. They're the only undefeated team in the league and no one has called them the best team in the league. So they go through, go into Cleveland, be the Cleveland team, especially handily. They are going to fly up a lot of power rankings because they would then be the only undefeated team and they would have handled the Cleveland Browns. Um, so that, that would be huge for them. We're not Again, we're not going to pick a winner right now. We're going to talk about it in Jack's Pack in just a few minutes. Cowboys at Patriots. This game is interesting. You probably thinking, how? The Cowboys, I mean, you're saying it was the best team in the league if... Damn sure the best team in the NFC. You know, I mean the Bucks are getting consideration that the Cardinals are getting a little bit, but you know, the Cowboys have been the old I mean, favorites come out of the NFC right now. And the Patriots are two and three. Now, 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 the Patriots could easily be three and two. Easily. Very easily three and two. Hell, they could easily be four and one. Think about it. They fumbled against the Dolphins in order for the Dolphins to get their only win of the season. They fumbled in, in, in the red zone. And they missed the field goal against the Bucks. Hold on to the ball, make a field goal, you're probably four and one. It's actually two and three, so I mean, you know, but you're probably four and one. The only game they were genuinely outplayed from start to finish was the Saints game. They were just overmatched. I, it was just, they, it, they came out flat and the Saints took advantage. But they could legitimately be four and one. So the Pages are a solid team. Dallas is riding high, they beat, but they beat Philly, New York, and Carolina. I have, I like Carolina, I like Carolina a lot, but I have no love for Philly or New York in terms of their ability to win anything. So that being said, I kind of take all three of those wins in perfect honesty with you with a grain of salt, kind of a yawn, like, yeah, you were supposed to do that kind of thing. And now they go into New England. The Cowboys have not won in Foxborough since 1983 or 87. Uh, the Cowboys have never beaten Bill Belichick, ever. And so now they go into Dallas, and now they go into New England, rather, with a, a defense flying high. They were flying a little, you know, kind of a little below the weather after what happened in Houston. Oh, they woke up in the second half. Mac Jones with his first comeback victory. He's riding a little high. 
Um, you know, the receivers trying to wake up a little bit. This could be a very interesting game. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure Jamie Collins plays a lot more this week because he barely played spot minutes last week. Uh, made a huge sack in one of the five or six snaps I remember him playing. Um, and I hope he, he probably plays a lot more this week just because he had another week to get his con- uh, not conditioning, his uh, mental in shape with the new playbook, the new terminology. So I'm thinking he plays a lot more this week. Um, it really helps cause havoc in the run game. Uh, this game is also in Jack's pack, so we're not going to pick it. But Dallas pulls out something New England can't defend, which is those three receivers or that all those weapons, that passing game. C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Dalton Schultz, and now Tony Pollard, Ezekiel Elliott, also in the past game. The Patriots flat out can't defend that. I mean, we have, we, have, we I'm saying we, the Patriots fan, J.C. Jackson and the prayers. Um, I believe Jalen Mills is going to go this week. Uh, Devin McCourty should help out a lot. But, you know, we don't have a whole hell of a lot in the, in the secondary to really defend against that passing game. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. Again, we'll not pick it because it is in Jack's pack a little later. Bills at Titans. This is a game that is interesting for multiple selfish reasons of mine. For one, remember, I preseason picked the Colts 10 games in the playoffs. Well, the Colts blew a game on Monday. They should not have blown. Um, it would have put them at two and three. They would have been in a good spot. One game behind Jackson, uh, one game behind Tennessee, you know, in a hell of a spot to make a charge. Instead, you blow that game, uh, you kill your momentum, and you are now one and four if you're the Colts. Well, the Titans play the Bills. The Titans simply lose this game, and the Colts win their game against Houston. No harm, no foul. You're again, one game back. You play them again this season. You're in, a, you're in a pretty solid spot to still win the division, make the playoffs, because Houston and Jacksonville are of no threat to you whatsoever. Conversely, the Buffalo Bills are the only team above the Patriots in the AFC East, in which case I could really use the Buffalo Bills start losing so that the Patriots have a chance of catching them in the East. Right now, the Patriots are clearing two games back. Uh, they have not played the Bills yet this season, but they are a solid two games back. Um, and so, like I said, this game is interesting for several selfish reasons. First of all, we get to see Derrick Henry uh, on the field. One of the few people in the league bigger than him is Josh Allen. Um, both of these guys are physical specimens. You know, Josh Allen is 6'6", 6'7", 250, 60 pounds, and hurdled somebody last week against the Chiefs. Uh, conversely, Derrick Henry is the size of a refrigerator. Uh, he's, he is 6'4", 6'5", 250 pounds himself. And had breakaway speed with notching several 75-yard-plus runs. You know, Derrick Henry is leading the league in rushing. And Derrick Henry, after contact, is third in the league in rushing. So I am I am so excited to see this game. It's going to be two opposite ends of the spectrum. Josh Allen gunning all over the field. And Derrick Henry running it down your throat. Um, so huge, huge game with a lot of early implications in terms of seeding. And lastly, the AFC West Bowl, uh, the Denver Broncos versus the Las Vegas Raiders, two teams that were both riding high 3-0, both have hit issues since then, um, both are now 3-2, and and winning of this game for either one of them would give a massive advantage. You will go to, um, you will go to... Four and two, dropping your opponent three and three is to have them reeling. For Vegas, this would be huge to try and just win, baby, Al Davis style their way into more um, 
positive media coverage. And for the Broncos, it'll be good for the confidence of the team to beat a division uh, opponent and to still have a legitimate chance at the playoffs mentally. But up next, other oh, game is not in Jack's pack. Sorry. So for Bills and Titans, I just noticed neither game was in Jack's pack. For Bills and Titans, I'm going to go with Bills by seven. And for Broncos, Raiders, I'm going to go with Raiders. They defend home turf. Uh, or rather, they go on the road into Denver and win by four. Now, up next, we're going to have our NFL segment, betting segment, Jack's Pack. Breaking news, boom drop out of the NFL. The rich get richer. You know how a minute ago I kept saying, man, I can't, I can't, um, I, I, I can't, I can't think of the Arizona Cardinals tight end name. I kept saying it'll, um, it will, it will kept being Max Williams. I, I still don't know who the guy was. It used to be, but it's no longer that person as the Philadelphia Eagles have traded tight end three-time pro bowler Zach Ertz to the Arizona Cardinals for a six-round pick, Tate Gowan, a cornerback, and a 2022 fifth-round pick. Now, reportedly, uh, the Eagles were in love with Gowan in the draft, and ultimately the Cardinals scooped them. So now they get him, plus an additional fifth-round pick, and they clear up their um, issues with the uh, tight end position. So they had Dallas Goddard and... Um, Zach Ertz, and so they need to do something with one of them. Uh, Goddard's younger with a less injury history, so you pretty much figured Goddard was going to stay an Eagle. Ultimately, they just dealt Zach Ertz to the Arizona Cardinals. The rich get richer. So now I can officially say the Arizona Cardinals will run on the field. It may not be Sunday. I don't know how fast they'll have Zerk Ertz on the field. They'll definitely have him on the field next Sunday. Uh, uh, they will. I mean, he already played this week. So... I guess that takes away he can't play Sunday. Obviously, he already played this week. So next Sunday, they will um, they will officially acquire him uh, next week because, like I said, Philly already played this week. So they officially acquire him next week, and then they will have DeAndre Hopkins. Um, they'll have DeAndre Hopkins. They'll have Christian Kirk. They'll have AJ Green. They'll have uh, Andy Isabella, James Conner. Um, uh, Chase Edmonds. Then they will also have Zach Ertz at tight end. Uh, wow. Big move by Arizona. The NFC West again going for it. In that division, you cannot sit back on resting your laurels. You have to go for it. Uh, the Rams have been going for it every single year. Um, you know, uh, and now San Francisco went for it. Seattle doesn't really go for it. Now, they seem to be the clear fourth-place team. And Arizona undefeated going for it again with Zach Ertz. Huge acquisition by the Arizona Cardinals for not a lot. So, if Zach Ertz can stay healthy, uh, they're probably going to have to pay him soon. But if Zach Ertz can stay healthy, huge acquisition for the Arizona Cardinals. Wow. Which makes my pick even more. Well, not really. I didn't change my pick this week. Um, but a huge for the Arizona, humongous for the Arizona Cardinals. Wow, wow, wow. Um, but now we're going to move into Jack's pack, which had a wild, a bad week. One and four. Uh, after coming off a great week, four and one. Really thought I was turning this thing around. Went one and four last week. Got a couple of bad breaks. Uh, broke a couple of my own rules. It just was, it wasn't great. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't fun for me. 
one and four, which brings our season record to 11 and 14, three games below 500. That's okay, because we love the numbers this week. I fell in love with the numbers this week. Great numbers all the way around. Let's do this. Let's jump right in with my favorite number of the week. The Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. Bears plus five and a half. Take the Packers. This game won't be close. The Bears' only hope is that they somehow can put a 12th and a 13th man on the field to guard Devontae Adams. If you cannot do that, you have no chance. I don't see Justin Fields in that Bears' offense going more than 20, which means you have to keep Aaron Rodgers in order for this to cover reasonably with a realistic score, 24 or less. That ain't happening. Um, this could be a 30-20 kind of game. Uh, take the Packers here. This one was easy. I love this one. I saw it. I jumped, it jumped. This thing jumped me in the face. Anyway, I was super excited. Let's do this. Uh, Packers, uh, swallow the five and a half. Take the Packers. My close second favorite number of the weekend. Another number that as soon as I saw it, I jumped on it. Uh, Cincinnati at the Lions. Lions plus three and a half. Take the Bengals. Three and a half? That's it? What, Vegas is a sucker for tears all of a sudden? I, I don't... Dan Campbell's teams, they fight and they're scrappy. But Cincinnati's looking like, man, we should be 4-1 and one right now. And instead, we're 3-2. and two. Um, I mean, to be honest, they should be 5-0. and oh. They missed two game-winning kicks against the Bengals, and Joe Burrow threw three picks against the Bears. Neither one of those things happened. They're 5-0. and oh. um, And so... The Bengals go on the road at the Lions. Uh, the Lions are, they're not punting on the season just yet, but they're getting pretty close. Um, the Bengals do good against the run. Pretty much the Lions have to run to set up Jared Goff. They don't have any corners left. Jamar Chase, I expect to dance a lot in Chicago. Yeah, Cincinnati's going to win this game comfortably. Um, picking a score, 27-20. Uh, it might not even be that close. It might be 30-something, 20, 23. 30-23 is my official number. Um, take the Cincinnati, swallow three and a half. That one's easy. Arizona plus three and a half at Cleveland. My close third favorite. I love this number two. Take Arizona. Arizona's the underdog? Really, Vegas? I mean, are, are, are we watching the same Arizona that everybody else is watching? We have to be watching a different Cleveland. I don't know. Maybe there's a second Cleveland franchise. That I don't know about, but there is no way you're giving Arizona three and a half here. If Arizona was minus three and a half, okay, and I still might take Arizona. That one's easy. This is really easy. Arizona's gonna win this game. Trust me, they're gonna win it straight up. They're damn sure gonna win. They're gonna cover the spread. Uh, I've got Arizona winning it straight up. Uh, I've got uh, 34-30. Arizona's gonna win this game. Like I said, if it, if it was Arizona minus three and a half, then maybe I'd pick Cleveland. I'd probably stay away from it because the number would be too spot on, in my opinion. But 34-30, Arizona's gonna win this game. I don't know why Cleveland's the favorite here. Um, maybe home, even home field advantage doesn't make sense. I don't know. I, I got Arizona 34-30. Cowboys at Patriots. Now we get into numbers that is a little bit in the weeds for me. I wasn't necessarily happy, super excited with these numbers, but I took them. They were solid numbers, not great. Um, Cowboys at Patriots, Patriots plus three and a half. Take the Cowboys. Uh, I don't think I don't think the Mac Jones expression on Patriots fan have the ability to score enough to keep it within three and a half. If it was seven, six and a half, I'd probably go Patriots. But three and a half is not enough 
that means, you know, I, I say Dallas is going to get to 27. So does that, that means Mac Jones has to get to 24? Maybe. I, I, I don't see it. I mean, Trayvon Davis is going to just run around guarding people, I guess. I don't know he's going to guard. Um, maybe they're not excellent against the run. Maybe they run the ball down and throw ball control. I don't know. I don't know how the pages keep it close. Uh, Belichick's smarter than me. Maybe he figures it out. But for my money, I'm taking the Cowboys. Swallow three and a half. And lastly, Rams at Giants. Rams minus nine and a half. I'm going to take the Giants. Now, everything in me is saying take the Rams. Actually, I'm debating it right now. Everything in me is saying take the Rams. Because I don't see how the Giants keep... I'm going to go with the Rams. I'm switching this pick midstream. I may live to regret this. I am taking the Rams, swallow the nine and a half. I am picking all five road teams to cover the spread. Never been done on the show ever. Then maybe the week go five and up. Maybe I set a new rule or something. I don't know. But I'm going to take the Rams, swallow the nine and a half. I went with a big favorite last week when it came to the Patriots and the Texans. Burned me. Um, but I'm going to swallow the nine and a half. The Giants are going through all kind of injury troubles. Saquon Barkley. Um isn't there they got injuries at receiver daniel jones was in concussion protocol all kind of things are happening with the giants um and joe judge but joe judge has never been blown out which is the reason why i never did it joe judge has never been blown out in his nfl career um nine and a half was a big number but i'm loving matt stafford even though it's a cross-country game i'm loving matt stafford sean mcveigh and the rest of that crew to score 30 35 i don't see the giants getting the 20 so 35-20 would probably be my score prediction, which is more than a nine and a half. Take the Rams. So just to recap, we've got Green Bay minus five and a half. Green Bay over the Bears. Cincy over the Lions. Arizona over Cleveland. Dallas over the Patriots. Rams over the Giants. Now up next, we're going to shift into the NBA and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the NBA. We're talking about what's going down there. Uh, quick, We're going to talk about quickly Kyrie Irving situations. As we know, um, you know, a little background, he can't play due to New York City uh, mandates in uh, large sporting arenas. You cannot enter a large sporting arena without being fully vaccinated, without being vaccinated. Well, Kyrie Irving famously is unvaccinated. So that means he cannot practice or play for the Brooklyn Nets um, at home. Now, the Nets did get some kind of waiver where the practice facility is deemed as a private health facility so that he can go in the practice facility and practice. And then the Nets ultimately made the decision that, no, you're not going to play or practice with us at all. Uh, we're going to send you home. No part-time player basis. You're still going to get paid for the games you would have been eligible for. So we're going to pay you for all the road games. So you're still going to make your $16 million out of your 32, 33. Um, but you're not going to be a part of the Brooklyn Nets organization until you are vaccinated and can be a full-time player. So Kyrie Irving gave like a 20-some-odd minute live, uh, contradicted himself a lot in the live. Um, you know, may, I don't know. It's like he's shifting the narrative because you are famously anti-vax. 
and then you had a bunch of government conspiracies that you liked on social media and now you're saying you're not anti-vax you're not pro-vax you're being a voice for the voiceless but your strategy is going to be a disappear because you're famously not a social media guy and you're not going to be at basketball games how are you going to use your voice i i i don't i don't know i I will, I will not criticize Kyrie Irving for not taking a vaccine. That is his personal choice. I said a couple of weeks now, it is his choice to not take the vaccine. As many people in many comment sections have said, his body, his choice. Which is kind of a play on words for the abortion thing. But it, it's, it's his body, his choice, which is co- totally true. He has the freedom to choose whatever the hell he wants to choose to do with his body. On the flip side of that, New York City has mandates that the Brooklyn Nets can't overrule. You cannot enter a large indoor sporting facility without having a vaccination in your body. Update that hasn't changed. The Nets can do nothing about it. They've asked for an exemption to no avail. Um, he can't play. So the Nets made the smart decision, I think, to send him home. Now, this was the decision not made solely by the Nets management and coaching staff. Kyrie Irving had to have gotten, this had to have gotten talked to by James Harden and Kevin Durant. Both had to have signed off on this. Both did have to. Kyrie Irving's at home. That's what he should be. He, he's a risk to the NBA. He's a risk to his team. But also, he would be a risk chemistry-wise. You're on a five-game road streak. Kyrie Irving's there. and you, you know, You're clicking. You're 4-1. and one. And you got a five-game homestand. Kyrie's not there. You're one and four. And, you know, all the momentum you got on the road is gone. Playoff series. Let's say this carries out all the way through the playoffs. It's game seven in Brooklyn. You play on the Lakers. NBA Finals game seven in Brooklyn. Kyrie Irving's ineligible because of COVID. Protocols. But you just won game six because Kyrie Irving scored 40 in L.A. And you won game six. But now the reason you won game six can't play in game seven. Oh, and you've lost every home game in the series. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's too much back and forth. It's too much one plan with Kyrie, one plan without Kyrie. And this is even saying that Kyrie's going to play all the road games. He might need a time off. I would move on if I'm the uh, Brooklyn Nets. He said it in the um, live that he won't retire. He won't give up basketball because of this, etc. I would move on. That was my cue to trade him. But... Even if it's for three bench players, you know, trade them, move on, do not. And then he has a contract that the Nets apparently aren't going to offer now due to this and due to other things. Again, a move that had to have been signed off by KD and Harden, who have admittedly not talked to Kyrie since this started. So I think that relationship is splintered. I think Kyrie Irving will be an ex-Net before he plays for the Nets again. Um, and people can say what they want. This is, the, this is the you are free to do what you want. You are not free of the consequences from your actions. He has chosen not to get vaccinated for whatever the hell reason he's justifying today. There are consequences for that, and he's going to see that the NBA does not revolve around Kyrie Irving. The Nets do not revolve around Kyrie Irving. As long as number seven, which is Kevin Durant, is happy, the Nets probably don't care about much. So if KD is cool with it. Kyrie, you're going to be on ice until you either get vaccinated or traded. Um, So that is going to be something that I will definitely keep an eye on and keep you guys reported up to date on that. Ben Simmons is close to rejoining the Sixers. He's in uh, quarantine, I think mandatory quarantine at the moment. Um, Mandatory isolation, something of that nature. Uh, But like I said, he just showed up like DoorDash. He showed up like a waiter. He just popped up and took COVID tests. Nobody knew he was coming. It was like... 
No one had any idea he took a flight. Rich Paul was negotiating with the Sixers on how to get him to re-enter the team. And then I'm sure Elton Brand got a knock on his door like Ben's here. <laughs> you know, Daryl Morey or Doc Rivers got a knock on the door like Ben is here. He's currently taking his COVID test. You know, like Ben's, Ben's outside the door like right there. Um, I, it's, it's a very weird situation. So I spoke about a couple weeks ago that no way Rich Paul didn't know the money that the Sixers could hold back. Well, they folded pretty fast. He's not going to miss a single regular season game. It almost felt like when Brett Favre was retiring just to skip training camp and then coming back kind of thing. He pretty much like he didn't want to do the offseason dance. And then he came back um, for the regular season. Odd situation. He still wants to be traded, but he's going to collect his money now. So he only he's lost about a million dollars in fines. He's gonna collect the other seven. He's gonna make his, you know, in the grand scheme of life, he's gonna lose about a million dollars taxes effectively. Um, but he's he's back in the building. He's rejoining the team. Who the hell knows how it's gonna work? Um, I have no earthly idea um, how it's going to work at all. Um, but. Who knows? It may work out fine. It may be the thing to motivate Ben to say, no, I'm leaving, but I'm going to show you what you guys are going to lose on the way out the door. Or it could be, I'm going to James Harden this, and I'm going to not play well at all to make you move me faster. Um, so that is something that I would definitely keep an eye on there. Uh, 360 Degrees, also known as Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Russell Westbrook have played a couple of games together. It is choppy to say the least. Um, it's going to take them a few weeks to get their acts together on the court together. Full speed and NBA game speed. Practice is one thing. Summer runs is one thing. Scrimmages is one thing. NBA game speed is a little different because the, because the scoreboard counts um, and it matters. And you can't just mess up a play and say, oh, we're going to run it again. Or you can't you know, miss a shot and be like, well, it was good basketball. The shot would just miss. Like, No, those shots count now. Um, so it was choppy to say the least. I think they're going to be fine, though. I still have them coming out of the West. Every team they play, they're going to have the best big three on the floor. Um, now that Kyrie is ex, basically an ex-net, every big three they play, they're going to have the best. Every team they play, they're going to have the best big three on the floor. Um, most teams they play, they're going to have the best two players on the floor. Against a lot of teams, some even a couple teams at the Magic, they're going to have the best three players on the floor um, when they step on the court. So they are my pick still to come out of the West. Um it's just going to be choppy for a little while. Like uh, Rondo basically hit Russell in the face with the ball last night uh, because Rondo was doing a bullet pass to the wing and Russ was running full head of steam to basically catch the rebound or to take like a little drop off pass. And Rondo bulleted it right into Russ's face. Uh, both end up laughing it off, but it's part of the things you see with the choppiness of the team. Uh, LeBron played hard last night, had 36 and 6. Uh, showing that, you know, I'm still him. I'm still that guy um, that you should fear at all times. And so, they, they, you know, they have the talent. You know, we still haven't seen it all come together. Um, we still haven't seen it all at one time. Dwight Howard had a great chase down block. So the talent's there. The experience is there. The chemistry just isn't just yet. You'll probably see it full-fledged in about a month. I remember the big three heat started out rough. They were 9-8 and eight to the point where LeBron wanted uh, Pat Riley to come coach and wanted Spolstra out. Pat Riley told him no, and the rest is history. Um, when he went back to Cleveland, they started off a little rough as well. So it's gonna, you know, it's it's gonna take a few games, probably a few weeks. I, I would expect by November first to where it's a well-oiled machine and they're rolling over people as well as they should.
two big G League signings. Uh, Leangelo Ball signed, well, he first signed with the G League, then the uh, Charlotte Hornets signed him, signed him to their 19-man uh, roster with the with the purpose of holding his G League rights. So he's going to play for the Charlotte Hornet uh, G League team, which I believe is the Swarm, I believe it's called. And then Zaire Wade um, was going to do the same thing, sign with the G League and go into the draft. But he ultimately ended up getting signed to the Utah Jazz's G League program, the Salt Lake City somethings. Um, his father, Dwayne Wade, obviously, as you know, is part owner of the Jazz. So a little nepotism there, just a little bit. But if I have part owned a team, my son would play on it as well. So, you know, Zaire Wade can play. It's not like he's a bum. Um, and now he has a spot on the G League team to really groom his NBA skills. Uh, conversely, uh, Leangelo, obviously his brother's LaMelo, who's the star of the Charlotte Hornets. Um, and Leangelo played well in the summer league for the Hornets. Tonight, he's going to be a Hornets G League player. But up next, we're going to shift to the MLB and talk about what's going down there. Welcome in. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, the MLB is now in the championship series. We are down to the final four. We're down to the semifinals. Uh, we've got in the AL, Houston versus Boston. In the NL, Atlanta versus the Dodgers. Two of these teams make sense. Two of these teams do not. Uh, the game last night was wild between the Dodgers and the Giants. Ended in controversy. A controversial check swing call. This, it was not a he checked the swing it was not a swing his wrist never broke it was a bad call um but in a game earlier in the series there was a bad call as well on a check swing situation so baseball life kind of balances itself out it's tough it ended that way it's odd that a series so it's weird or a little, honestly a little bit wrong that a series so great between the dodgers and the giants that we have been waiting on like i told you i was waiting on this the playoff started um Honestly, a couple of months before the playoffs started, Giants, Dodgers, first anything. ALCS, I mean, for the NLCS or just in the playoffs in general, um, that was a series we were waiting on. So the fact that it ended on, a, ended on a check swing call, especially an incorrect check swing call, is um, is rough. It's very rough, I'm going to be honest. Um, for the uh, Giants, all-time great season for them, regular season-wise. Held off the Giants, Dodgers all year. For that to happen to the Dodgers. Um, so sucks for the Giants. But the Dodgers advance to Atlanta. Play Atlanta. And remember a couple minutes ago I spoke about two teams belong. Two teams don't. The Astros are making their fifth consecutive ALCS. They belong. The Dodgers. I spoke about it before the season started. Maybe the most talented roster arguably ever. And they. I had them as a 120 win team watch. Now had they not had the injuries they sustained. They might have gotten to 120. Um, and then game five would have been in L.A. last night instead of San Francisco. But they might have gotten to 120. Boston being in the NLC, ALCS and Atlanta being in the NLCS make no sense. Atlanta sold their best two players to the Dodgers at the deadline. Max Scherzer and Trey Turner were on the Braves. They basically gave them away. I mean, they, they traded them, but, you know, they gave them away to the Dodgers. And now they're going to play those same two players plus the Dodgers because Max Scherzer, who used to be a Brave, closed out the Giants last night to get his first career professional save. Now Atlanta's going to play the Dodgers, featuring Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. 
Um, absolutely wild story there. Atlanta basically quit on the season and made it anyway. Boston was supposed to be a rebuilding year. They beat the Yankees, turn around and beat the Rays. So the two teams that were ahead of them in the AL East was supposed to be ahead of them in the AL East. They beat them both. Um, you know, one time in Boston for the wild card against the Yankees, and then they beat Tampa in the series three to one. Um, I don't even know how Boston got here. Again, they they sold their best player two years ago in Mookie Betts to the Dodgers. Um, and they're supposed to be rebuilding this year, retooling for next year. Now there are four wins away from a World Series. Absolutely insane. It's going to be two great series. I'm so excited. Um, my World Series picks at this time is Houston and the Dodgers, the two teams that are supposed to be here. Um, let's, let's have that battle. Let's have that war of the Titans in the World Series. A couple of quick points of news. Uh, the Yankees rearranged the staff. They have fired three coaches. Aaron Boone remains as the manager. And the Astros were accused of the White Sox of stealing signs, which is already an accusation accusation in baseball no one wants. It's especially not an accusation in baseball no one wants if you've already been accused and caught cheating before, as the Astros were with the banging trash cans and stuff and the uh, tape and the stuff under the jerseys to with pitch was coming, etc. Um, you've got that going on, and now you have. Uh, the White Sox accusing you of stealing signs, uh, saying that, oh, you can tell they hit way better in Houston than they did in Chicago. I wonder what changed. And then Houston blasted 10 runs in game four to end that series in Chicago, uh, kind of debunking that a little bit. But, you know, the Astros were accused again. Dusty Baker stood up. And he was hired for this reason. He's an honorable guy. The Everyone in Major League Baseball respects him. He stood right on up and said, that's not happening. And so they blasted, like I said, 10 runs in Chicago and won the series, uh, sending the White Sox home. But again, my World Series prediction would be Astros versus the Giants. The two powerhouses that are supposed to be here knock off the two Cinderella's and they get to the World Series. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about the WNBA Finals. Welcome back into the show. Welcome into Best for Last, and welcome into our talk about a very great WNBA Finals. Um, I was a little bit off my prediction. I was a few seconds away from being perfectly right, having Chicago play Vegas, but instead it is Chicago versus Phoenix. Um, and honestly, I don't know if the Vegas series would have been better. Um, Chicago steals Game One, and they by Candace Parker and Kalea Cooper. Um, and then uh, a Kalia Cooper, excuse me, uh, and Candace Parker, uh, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, you know, the usual crew. Stephanie Dolson had a great game one as well off the bench. And then in game two, uh, Brendan Griner dominated. She dunked. Um, she had some huge shot alterations, not out of blocks, but some shot alterations. Uh, Diana Taurasi came in clutch. Uh, the game got physical. Kalia Cooper and um, uh, the Mercury's players, a lot of them got into it with Kalia Cooper, actually. Um, I can't even name just one. She got into it with a few people. Um, got physical there. You know, you had a couple of questionable calls late. Skylar Diggins played her tail off. Um, she had 12 assists, 7 rebounds to go with 13 points. She played her tail off in that game. Like I said, Brittany Griner dominated physically. 
Um, Candace Parker had an off night. Kylie Cooper played well again. Um, Ali Quigley was having an off night from three. Uh, Vandersloot played well at, uh, also. So it, and now let's go back to Chicago. It's a five-game series. Chicago did the job. They stole game one. So now they hold serve at home. They win the series 3-1. And Candace Parker helps deliver Chicago their first ever WNBA title in her first year in the franchise. So it'll feel like Tom Brady going to the Bucks. Um, even though it was the Bucks' second title, but you know, it feel like you know I'm going to the team, pulling it together. I'm the missing piece title. Um, so it will be. I'm very interested to see a series. It's gonna be over by the time we come back uh, next week. I'm gonna go. Chicago wins it in four. I'm gonna say Chicago holds serve at home. Uh, Chicago will be rocking. Phoenix was rocking uh, last night or two nights ago. Um, with the superstars that were out. The Suns had Devin Booker, Jay Crowder, Chris Paul. Portland had a contingent, CJ McCollum, Damian Lillard. Um, several superstars were in the building in Phoenix. NBA players supporting them. I expect Chicago to be the same. I would expect to see Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo Ball. Chance the Rapper went to uh, the game, the ending game in their last series. I expect to see them there. The Obamas might make an appearance. They live in Chicago. They might make an appearance. Um... You know, I expect a lot of Rockets crowd. The game is tonight. Game three is tonight. Huge game. Chicago wins that game. You put Phoenix against the wall. Phoenix wins that game. Chicago is coming out scrapping in game four to try and even get it to a game five. Um, Chicago, I think Chicago wins tonight. Like I said, I think they win both games in Chicago, and they win it uh, three to one. But that is all we have for today. A little bit of a longer show than we've been doing these past few weeks. But I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys learned a lot. Definitely join us back next week. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And give at JTime Sports a follow on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, I hope you guys sit back. I hope you guys have set back, rather, and learned something. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.